0: Lord, we are so grateful that your hand of grace is upon us in this season. We ask that you would continue to bring healing to those that are struggling with COVID or have relatives that are or who work in professions, such as in the medical industry, where they are dealing with patients like that. We ask for your healing there, Lord. We ask that you would continue to protect um, and and, uh, guard over each family, each member of our church, of our city, of our nation, of the world. Uh, from this, uh, this uh, deadly incursion. But we thank you, Lord, for the improvements we've experienced. And we thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in being able to fellowship together again. Lord, we know that there are still losses that we still mourn. And there are those who have experienced many pains and hardships. Not only the loss of loved ones and friends, but also of income and jobs and so forth. We ask for your grace to continue to sustain and extend to everyone who has suffered as such. And we pray that this community of faith in your name, this Praise Christian Fellowship, would be a place of comfort and encouragement, of healing and hope because of you, Lord, because of who you are. And so we come to you today, Lord. We come to your word today. And we say in prayer, even as we said in song, that we surrender all to you today. We lay down our lives once again to you today. We come to your word. And we lay down our preconceived notions and our very passionately held personal opinions. We lay them on your altar And we say, Lord, whatever is worthy and of you, let it be infused, inspired by your spirit and may our understanding of it be enriched and deepened by you. But whatever is not of you, no matter how closely we may have held it, no matter how strongly we may have believed it, no matter how persuasively we may defend it, we surrender it to you now, Lord, because if it is not of you, we ask that on this, your holy altar, it would be consumed by your holy fire and we'd be released from that confusion, that incorrect supposition, that, that, that bondage of belief that is not born of you. Free us from falsehood by your truth, that we would know your truth, that we would be made free, and that we would declare your truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, to everyone we encounter in your mighty name. Amen. I surrender all. What a powerful statement that is. We've sung it. We've prayed it. And I just want to say, as I teach today, as we turn to Romans chapter 11 and the study of today's word out of that chapter and in our ongoing series on this incredible letter of the Apostle Paul to early believers in the city of Rome, let's look at this material not just from an intellectual perspective of trying to understand what is written there in a deeper way. That's certainly worthy. But let's also come to this this time of teaching, this study of the word, as an opportunity to surrender yourself to the fullness of God, to his presence, to his majesty, to his mystery. Because God is doing things that really go far beyond what you and I could ever perceive on our own. And in fact, in Romans chapter 11, Paul is going to lead us deeper into that mystery, but not in the sense of going into the mists of some kind of confusion, but rather allowing the light of the Lord to shine more brightly in our own lives and illuminate things that otherwise we would be darkened to. Otherwise, we would miss. Paul is going to make the point, the scriptures, the Spirit himself, is going to make the point that God knows what he's been up to all along and he has not deviated from his plan, from his purpose. Hallelujah. I'm going to make you say it again. That single word that's theming our year but should always be the focus of our lives in the Lord. And the word is purpose. Will you say that word with me? Purpose. Purpose. Say it again. Purpose. God has a purpose, and everything that God does, He does on purpose. There's no such thing as luck, or coincidence, really. If there is coincidence, it is something that is not a part of God's plan, and I don't think there's anything that is not a part of God's plan. In fact, Here's a mystery, that is to say, something that seems surprising, but which God's Word and His Spirit illuminates for us. The fact of the matter is, even when people go their own way and do their own thing, and who among us has not been guilty of that? Even as Pastor Henji was saying earlier, sometimes these mouths that were made to speak good words speak bad words. And sometimes these lives and these bodies, which were made by a good God for good things, get embroiled in bad things. All we, like sheep, have sinned and gone astray. But even our errant ways, God utilizes for his purpose. Now that's not something that I can fully understand, but I can fully believe it. Because it's predicated upon the reality that God is greater. And without diminishing the freedom of anyone in any kind of despotic way, because God is not a tyrant, Nevertheless, God himself is free to achieve his purposes. And the invitation that God makes to all people is a free and open invitation. And the invitation is this. Come to me, surrender all, and in me I will work all things together for your good. Hallelujah. Now that is the very root of the promise of God, that God is good and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But out of that fundamental truth, a, a fundamental of faith, there develops a shoot of growth that branches out in every direction with patterns that prosper, with boughs, burden with fruitfulness. A way of living, as Pastor Hazel taught in our midweek session this past Wednesday, that brings about blessing. It's not a way of living that avoids hardship. Tragedy and trauma come our way. And in fact, part of the mysterious but glorious purpose of God even includes those trials. Because through those trials, we are made stronger. Or at least we can be if we will surrender all to Him. So the seed of his promise, the root of his plan has produced shoots of life and a branch named Jesus, a vine called Christ who invites you and I to abide in him and promises that he himself will abide in us and make us fruitful. That, my friends, is good news. It is the gospel. And it is still a part and parcel of Paul's message as we arrive at chapter 11 in Romans. I hope you have your Bible with you. You can open it to that. Or if you've got an electronic Bible, if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can do that. I am going to project the message. But I like your Bible to be open in some fashion because it's a reflection of your heart being open, of your mind being open, of your awareness being ready, and also the reality that you carry the Word with you that you have the word available to you. That it's not just once a week on Sundays that we're dipping into the scriptures, but that every day you and I would be feeding like a branch that feeds off of the life of the root. Amen? Now, I want to take you back very briefly over the last three chapters or so. That is to say, the chapter we're looking at today and the past two. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11... Paul is engaged in kind of an extended portion of his presentation. You'll remember that this letter was written at a time when Jewish and Gentile Christians, that is, people who were ethnically Jewish and had been um, raised and educated in that faith, but who nevertheless acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Messiah, were in churches together with Gentile people in Rome who were not ethnically Jewish and in many instances had very little or no familiarity with the Jewish law, the scriptures, the books of Moses, the Torah, and the the rest of the Hebrew Bible, what we would refer to as the Old Testament. And so Paul's writing to churches that have both of those people in them. And you can imagine that that's a very diverse community. And so as Paul presents the gospel message that I've just described he also presents it in such a way so as to help both groups understand each other. He wants to make it very clear that the Jewish people who are persuaded that they have the Word of God and that they have been chosen by God are not wrong in those persuasions. In other words, Paul does not come to abolish Judaism or to neglect or somehow erase the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Not at all. You've noticed, and you'll see it again today how Paul peppers his entire letter with quotation after quotation and reference after reference to the Jewish scriptures, to our Old Testament, because he's showing that God's plan and purpose has not changed. But the idea that some Jewish people might have, and remember, Paul himself is a Jewish man, highly educated and trained in the Jewish faith, a teacher, in fact, in that faith, a lawyer, if you will, of the Judaic law, Paul wants to make it clear that this idea that's so common in that group of people at the time, and frankly, it's common to every ethnic group of people. When we are inside a group, we tend to have the persuasion that our group is best. After all, it's our group. But in this particular group, there is also a spiritual or a religious, would be a better way to say it, a religious uh, conviction, which is, that we have the truth and nobody else does and so there is a temptation to think more highly of themselves as a group than they ought to a very human temptation it comes to each individual if we are surrendering all to the Lord this morning we ought to be able to admit to him and to ourselves that we all like to think of ourselves first don't we That's the natural disposition. And if you think, I'm really someone who likes to think of others first, let me just tell you, that's a convenient way of forgetting the many ways and many times when you think of yourself first. There are people that are more selfish than others. And I'm not trying to point a finger at you. I'm here to say to you, I know my disposition for selfishness. And while it may be greater than yours, I know that you have that disposition too because it's a common human trait. And it's something that Paul addresses, the scriptures address consistently for believers in Christ, that we are to have the attitude of humility that Jesus himself demonstrates. But the problem when a group of people who do have the word of God and have this special plan and purpose of God for them and in them, the problem that comes if they think that they are better, is that they might miss the reality of the purpose of God's plan for them from the beginning, which, Paul makes clear, is that they would be a witness to the world and that what they would be witnessing to or giving witness of, that is to say, is not their own perfection in the keeping of the law, but rather God's graciousness and faith. They are to be witnesses of faith. And so, Paul wants to make it clear that not everyone who is ethnically Jewish or born as a descendant genetically of Abraham is actually a descendant of the promise given to Abraham. And so in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is going to make this, or has been making this extended discussion of well, what is then the purpose? of God having chosen a people for himself, of having elected a people for himself. And how is that purpose meaningful to all other people? Because that's the other thing that Paul has been demonstrating in his letter so far, is that the Gentile people have an opportunity because of God's word, because of God's people, but most primarily because of God's son, because of Jesus Christ. Now, non-Jewish people have the opportunity to receive salvation through the Jewish Savior, the Messiah, whose very name, Jesus, means salvation. God saves. Not just any God, but Yahweh. The I Am God of Israel saves, but not just the people of Israel. Or that is to say, He saves all people who will be invited into the faith of Israel. Faith in that God. But the, Jew, the Gentile people, Paul makes clear, also went astray. Having refused to surrender all to God, they instead entrenched themselves in their own kind of pride. And they went off into idolatry and the works of darkness that will be the, the, the legacy of any one of us when we turn away from God. And many of us in the room and within the sound of my voice can give testimony to the fact that turning away from God is turning into a way of darkness and deeds of darkness that do not prosper and will not bless. So Jewish people have received the word of God, but they have not uniformly believed in the faith that he intended. And Gentile people have rejected the ways of God, but now through Jesus, they have an opportunity to believe. And so in Christ... Whether you are Jewish or Gentile is not particularly relevant. But what is relevant is that what God has been doing from the beginning is available to you and I today. And that is that we could have life in him. So in in chapter 9 of Romans, Paul wants to come back to this point about the people of God. And say, I want to make it clear that God has not rejected his people Israel. And I want to make it clear to you, all of you, Jewish people and Gentile people, who are putting your faith in Jesus Christ, why that is and what that is about. When we looked at uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, we, we were looking at the children of the promise. And Paul was saying that even in Abraham we see this example. That Abraham, a man of 100 years old and a wife, Sarah, 90 years old had been promised a child by God and God did that miraculous work in them and it was actually just through that humble offspring of Isaac that the entire nation of Israel was created but it was created by God's faithfulness to his promise and that promise was received by Abraham and by Sarah by faith. Therefore, the, the descendancy of that legacy, is through faith. In chapter 10, we saw that the entirety of God's law, the word that he gave to that people that he had chosen and made for himself, and the way of living that he showed to that people that he had chosen for himself, that that law had as its purpose the, the witness to the truth. So that people could know who God is and see who God is and see how God is and knowing that they could see how far away from that ideal they have fallen and have the invitation to something better that would draw us in to the life and the truth that God makes available to us. And the purpose of that law was not only that people would know that righteousness of God, but that people would have that righteousness of God and show that righteousness of God and grow in that righteousness of God. Now, the law makes it clear what righteousness is, and the law makes it clear how we are not righteous. But what the law doesn't do and what we can't do is produce that righteousness in us. We are not able to fulfill the law But in chapter 10, we saw in Paul's words from the Spirit that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. That Christ is the purpose of the law. That Christ comes to fulfill righteousness and make righteousness fully available to us. Hallelujah. So now we come to chapter 11. Paul has made it clear that not everybody in Israel is spiritually Israel because spiritually Israel is about the people of God's promise. People who have received God's promise by faith and that promise is personified in Jesus. But what about the fact that God made promises to this nation Israel? In spiritualizing our understanding of it, does that mean that God has come to a position of casting away The people of Israel. And this is important to you and I because, as I think I said last week, if God is faithful to his promises, then we can trust in him. But if God makes promises to people and then people go astray and God says, I'm no longer bound by that promise because you've gone astray, what does that mean for us? Because we also go astray. Now, what we might say is, I better not go astray, and then I'll just live perfectly before God. I'll fulfill all my religious obligations. But if we do that, we're falling back into that pattern of legalism that the Spirit through Paul has already said, that was never the way, that was never the design, that was never the purpose. So if then we say, then fine, forget it. I could never fulfill all of that, and I'm done then we go the way of the Gentiles and we turn ourselves over to a life of dissipation and idolatry, pursuing other ends and goals that are not part of the purpose of God. But if we see that God is true to his promises even when people are faithless and even when people make mistakes, God's perfection still persists, then you and I will have faith that our salvation is not bound up in our ability to be right, but rather in the righteousness of Christ that comes to us as the free gift of grace. Now, chapter 11 is an extended chapter. We may not be able to read through all of the verses today together. And if we don't, I trust that you'll be delving into it this week yourself. I always think of these sermons as an opportunity for you to dive deeper into the Word. I like to think of these sermons as being on the diving board. Aren't you glad that I'm not up here in a Speedo? Uh, you don't have to respond. I can tell you no one's gladder than me. No, that's what Hazel was like, no. Yeah, she knows that wouldn't be a good sight. But I do think of this as a diving board, and I invite all of you into the, the spiritual high dive of that consideration of Sunday sermon, that it's a springboard for you, into your own deeper study of this section of the Word through the week. Now, you may be reading in other areas, and that's good, but remember that the Lord has us together in a community of faith for a reason. And we traffic through the Scriptures together in timely ways because there is much that He is saying through these messages that is for you particularly, you especially. So why not receive that? Dive into that and receive the richness of that Word. So, diving in to chapter 11. I see a four-part structure that can help us strategize our progression today. First, Paul is going to talk about a remnant remaining. And in doing so, he's calling back to a reference that comes in, I think, either chapter 9 or 10. uh, And it's a reference to Isaiah. Isaiah spoke, the prophet of old, the Hebrew prophet of ancient times, spoke about how there would be people in Israel who turned away from God, even though they had received his word. And they did have this special relationship with Him. Like all people, they also uh, are given to temptation and subject to idolatry, and they give in to that. But what Isaiah the prophet said by the inspiration of the Spirit is that God would maintain a remnant for Himself. And that God would restore where there was a breaking away from Him and connection. God Himself would come in, to restore connection to the root and even to go beyond and graft in new shoots, new branches into this tree. In other words, the, the, uh, the, the case that's being made here is even though people failed God's promise, God's promise doesn't fail. And even though there has been a falling away, a remnant has remained and God will restore that connection. But God will do even more than restore. He will bring in more. There is an ingrafting of shoots, and that's good news for you and I, my friend. And in fact, all of this together culminates in this wonderful, fulsome, fruitful revelation that there's a mystery of God being revealed in all of this. So I want you to think about these things as we move through the progression of the chapter today. There's more faith around us than we necessarily see or fully realize. You'll see in just a moment that Paul's going to make a reference to an Old Testament episode in which one of the people of God is saying, I think I'm the only one that still has faith in you. Maybe you feel that way in days like this. You might feel like, does nobody have faith in God anymore? Does nobody have respect for the Bible anymore? Does nobody revere the name of Jesus anymore? And yet, there are millions who do. And there are millions more who maybe they don't, but through your faith, God would use you as a witness to them to help them to be restored or to be grafted in. So don't give up on faith just because you don't see it around you. Actually, look within yourself. And if you don't see it in you, follow the advice that James gives to believers in his letter. Ask God for faith. And God, who gives liberally, is no respecter of persons, he'll give it to anyone who asks from, them, from him as long as they believe as long as they believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Along with that, believe this. The faith of God is alive and well. And there are many more people who are connected to it than you might imagine. And there are many more people who would be connected to it if you and I will walk in it and allow the Lord to do his work of witnessing through us. Because God fulfills his word. Will you say that phrase? God fulfills his word. You and I, we may be people who, as Pastor Hedgie reminded us so rightly and gently earlier this morning, are people who break our words or speak words of breaking, cursing, because those are words of, of destruction. Not just foul language, although foul language really does have more of, a, of an ill effect than our world realizes. But perhaps even more importantly, the words that curse because of how they hurt someone else, words that diminish others, words that that judge with a cruelty that knows nothing of the heart of God, words that cut and slice because of their thoughtlessness or carelessness. These things are words of breaking, and they break us away from God, but God who is faithful to fulfill, his love covers a multitude of sins. His grace is greater. And his good word, which cannot be broken, which never fails, will be fulfilled in you if you'll surrender all those bad words and instead let his good word, his good promise, and his sustaining power be placed in you. In fact, what God wants to do is not only do this good work in you, but use you to do his good works abroad, to make your life a mission. You were made for a purpose, and it's grand. Each one of us in Christ has a unique identity, a unique capacity. We receive unique giftings each one of us brings more to the body than the body would be without us because of Christ and what God wants is to spread his mercy through us to shed his love broadly through us to generously sustain us powerfully equip us and use us to be people not of cursing but of blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that you just go around buttering people up with polite, nice words that have no truth in them. Because if you're going to speak love, you've got to speak truth. But if you're going to speak truth, speak it in love. And there will be a mystery revealed through you, which is how God uses you, a normal person a broken person, a person who fails, a person with a history that gives the testimony of God's goodness at work, even in weak people. Later this year, by God's grace, we're going to start into our series on the book of Judges. And if ever you wanted to see a a, a rogues gallery of heroes, it's the Judges of ancient Israel. People with all kinds of predilections and problems who nevertheless are heroes of the faith Because God will use anyone willing to surrender everything to him. The mystery is that God will never fail to ultimately satisfy all his purposes and fulfill his glory. You say, how is that a mystery? Because you ain't seen nothing yet. Because you can't see all of it and neither can I right now unless we see by faith. If we're looking with the light of our own eyes, we can't see it. It's not visible. It is like the man of God who thought he was outnumbered until his master said to him, open your eyes. And his master prayed and said, open his eyes in the spirit to see that there were angels and ministers of grace all around, chariots of fire. But you can't see them unless you see by faith. But God wants you to see by faith. And he wants you to live by faith and not by sight. Because when you do, nothing, nothing, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So Paul, beginning the chapter, is going to say, you, effectively, he's he's anticipating this, 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 uh, understanding that maybe you're thinking God has turned away from his people. But no, at the present time, Paul says, there is a remnant chosen by grace. By grace, not, not according to their goodness. After all, Abraham wasn't chosen according to his goodness. God chose Abraham because he can choose, as we've already been told, upon whom he will show mercy and upon whom he will not. It's up to God. God is the creator. But he chooses one man to make a nation. And it seems to be, as God often says in his word, that he desires to choose the humble in order to shame the proud and to show that God doesn't need strength in order to be strong, but that God will give strength to the humble. So by grace, God chooses. And at this present time, Paul says, there's a remnant. Today, there's a remnant. Today, there's people around you who have faith. Don't forget them. Befriend them. Be with them. Pray with them. Let them pray for you. Find together the strength of your faith. But I also want to say, on a personal level, I think that you and I can appropriate this promise personally. There's a remnant of faith in you. In the days and at the times when you feel that you've gone too far astray, or if you've made a mistake that so violates your own conscience and your understanding of what God expects of you. The enemy comes in to tear down every aspect of faith that might be remaining within us and to tell us that we've gone too far astray. Maybe today as a guest or somebody viewing this recording, you have within your heart a deep sense of disconnection from God. Maybe it's because you were someone who was raised in the faith, but you've turned away from it. Maybe you've never known God. Maybe you've never walked with Jesus. Maybe you've overtly rejected that, but there's something happening in you in this moment that as the word of God reaches you, not my words, but the scripture and the spirit and the witness of Jesus, that man who is God, And you recognize there's a truth here. But you feel that you could not be accepted by that God. Or that you could not muster the faith necessary to believe in him and in his love for you. Recognize that there's a remnant within. That there's a seed of truth. If you're able to acknowledge these words at all, that's enough. Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. If you have enough faith to believe that there might be a God who could possibly love you, who might actually be Jesus, then lay hold of that right now and allow the Lord to blow on that like an ember in the the fireplace and let the flame of the Spirit rise up. But you've got to trust before you see, before you feel. I like what Hazel was sharing on Wednesday, that there are so many times, even for those of us, and maybe especially for those of us, who've walked with the Lord for a long time, and then a time of trial comes, a season of grief, a great loss, an unexpected challenge, an unexpected battle or burden, and we may find ourselves feeling like our faith is exhausted, and there's just nothing left there. But the reality is that we were never the, the, the producer of that faith to begin with. Faith is a gift. It comes from God. And when he gives faith, he gives it in an abiding way. So even if you feel like you're empty, well, bring that emptiness to the Lord, but recognize this, there's something in you of him and he will foster it. And there's more of it there than you probably realize. And there's more potential for it in others. Don't look at people and count them as lost causes don't consider that your your friends your neighbors your family members your children your parents your siblings your co-workers your classmates your professors and teachers your employees and staff your managers don't consider anyone off limits to the gospel Don't consider anyone as a lost cause. There is more possibility for faith all around you than you and I realize. The fields are white and ripe for harvest. So let the Lord open your eyes to that. God is not bent on rejecting people. His disposition is to find the way to reconnect. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of salvation. Yes, there is judgment. And yes, there are consequences. So today, while there's still opportunity, call upon the Lord. Because God is a God who will redeem and restore. He's a God who maintains his promise even in the midst of the storm. I ask then, Paul says, did God reject his people Israel? By no means. Paul reminds them, I'm an Israelite myself. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. Let's get specific about it. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Here's a powerful point about election. This statement is saying God has elected his people Israel. He knew in advance that he would choose them. Not because of anything they did but because of his choice. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about the prophet Elijah, another Old Testament prophet, how he appealed to God against Israel. Elijah was being persecuted because he maintained faith in the God of Israel when all the people around him, including the king and queen, including the, the, the leaders and, the, and the, the rulers and the the elite of society, but also just everyone in the culture seemed to have turned away into all kinds of idolatry reflecting the, the, uh, the false religions of the world around them. And Elijah was upset about it. They're trying to kill me. They're trying to snuff me out. You've called me to be your witness, but look, they've killed all your other witnesses. They've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me in 1 Kings 19. And what was God's answer to him? Poor baby, let me come and save you. God's answer was tender and not mocking, but it was also disciplining. He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Baal was this God, this false God, a lowercase g, A demonic entity, really. An idol that had grabbed hold of the hearts of people. Not that any idol made by human hands can have any activity, but the emptiness of that idol becomes a repository for the works of darkness. The enemy comes into that place and utilizes the worship of people for false things to entrap and entrench them in that life of destruction. But there were 7,000 in Israel Who had not bowed down. A number with a divine mystery involved with it. Seven in Hebrew being a number of God and of wholeness and of completion, a holy number. And a thousand being a holy kind of multiplier, such that God was saying, even though 7,000 out of a nation may not sound very much, it's a remnant and it remains. And it's powerful and strong, it's holy. So too at the present time Paul says there is a remnant chosen by grace and if by grace then it cannot be based on works which means if their works are bad it doesn't invalidate the promise of grace because if it weren't by grace then grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. That is through the law they sought to be made righteous. The elect among them did. That is to say those who had faith, received righteousness through their faith. But there were others who were hardened, as Paul talked about with Pharaoh uh, last week, I think. A heart that turns away from God and becomes hardened in that disposition. As it is written, again, uh, here that's the wrong reference there uh, in 1 Kings. I believe this is out of Isaiah. I'll have to double-check that. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes they could not see and ears they could not hear to this very day. In other words, when people determine that they're going to find their own way without the light of God, then they get lost in their own way without the light of God. So that even if the truth is right in front of them, they're not looking by faith, so they can't see it because they're only looking by sight of flesh. David, king of Israel, says, People like that, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. Now, wait a minute. Put the brakes on, Pastor Court. You just said we are to be people of blessing and not cursing. That sounds like a curse. That sounds like an imprecatory statement. That's a fancy way of saying a curse of religious proportions. And if David is speaking by the Spirit, how can he say such things? Well, first of all, remember this. If David is indeed speaking by the Spirit, and he is, for it's out of the Scriptures, you find that uh, statement uh, in the Scriptures, how can it be anything other than the statement of the Spirit? But what's being illuminated there is not God's desire for people, but God's warning about the reality of what comes as a consequence if you live that way. In other words, if you decide to live without God, you're absolutely not going to see God. I read recently the obituary of an actress who was quite celebrated over many decades for her, her uh, illustrious work uh, in film and on television. And uh, she, she passed away at a ripe old age. And she really was an extraordinarily talented woman. I admire that, that talent. I think it was a God-given talent. But apparently she wouldn't have agreed with that because she was a pronounced atheist. And she said, having arrived into her 90s, uh, that she said, one thing I know for sure is there is no God. She was raised in a religious home. In fact, uh, I think that in her, uh, among her grandparents or great-grandparents, there was a minister. By the way, pray for your children and your children's children, as many as may flow from you. The prayers of the faithful do so much to maintain. And sometimes it may feel to you like there's no faith in your family line. But a remnant remains. And there's more faith there than you might realize. So pray. And pray into the future and let the Lord apply it as he will. In any case, this actress said, when I was young, I, I, got, I was told that God was always watching me. And I thought, uh-uh, I'm not having that. Isn't that interesting? It's like wouldn't you like to think that there is someone who made you and knows you and loves you and cares for you that is watching? I find it to be a comforting thought. She didn't. Well, I can understand that because sometimes we do things that we don't want people to see. Maybe especially we wouldn't want God watching. But the other thing that she thought was, if I don't believe in God, well, he's going to punish me. And she was always waiting for the other shoe to fall. She was waiting for the lightning bolt out out of the sky. And it never came. She had success after success after success. I'm sure that into her life a little rain fell, as it does in all. But what she she was saying was, I've never faced any consequence for it. And what I've seen is there is no God. But she wasn't seeing by faith. So all of her success was a stumbling block. And her eyes that she was looking through, though she could see everything in this world... Those eyes were darkened. That's what the statement reflects to me. I'm not saying that in judgment against her. I pray that when her time came, that maybe the Lord came to her in a way that opened those eyes. I can only pray that. I don't know. That belongs to God. But what I do know is this. If you're living a life and you think, well, I've gone my own way and it's worked out pretty good for me and I've never seen any evidence of God and I don't see any evidence of him judging me, watch out because you are living blind. And you can come to the end of your days here thinking all of that, but it doesn't make it true. So God is saying, there is a consequence for living this way and the consequence does come. And so people of Israel stumbled. Now there were some by faith who maintained by faith, but there are those who didn't have faith. They only had their religious practice. And so they stumbled. But Paul says, did they stumble so far that they can't be recovered? Not at all. In fact, God is using their transgression to spread salvation. Salvation has come to the Gentiles in order to make Israel envious. Well, now, this also seems like, wait a minute, this just doesn't doesn't sound like a loving thing to do. What kind of God makes his people envious? Well, there is the theory of the carrot and the stick, right? So on the one hand, there's a bit of stick being employed here, which is if you turn away from me, you're going to turn away into a way of darkness, And there is destruction and death in that way. But let me also raise up a carrot for you here. Actually, the carrot was raised up on a stick. It's Christ on the cross, showing the truth that God will grant salvation to anyone who accepts him. But if he offers that to Gentile people who are not part of that family that he made for himself, what are they being brought into? What are you and I, if we are Gentiles, being brought into? We're being brought into that family of faith. Now, if we are brought into that family of faith and adopted, maybe the kids who were born in the house will start to say, look at how well he treats the adopted ones. I want to come back to the father. Maybe the prodigals would return if they see the adoptees being blessed. Yes. So God's design is to maintain a remnant and to restore a root. If the rejection of the Jewish people, which was the common reaction to Christ as Messiah in Paul's day and to this day is still a very common reaction. And by the way, this also is, is, should give us encouragement to continue to share with Jewish people about the Jewish Messiah, not in a way that is rude, not in a way that is presumptuous, but in a way that reflects the love of God for his people and all people. But you and I can also be inspired by this reality that if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, how much better than for the entire world will be the embrace of Christ by the Jewish people. God himself is the root of faith, of all faith. Even if we are faithless, as Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, God remains faithful. God never fails to fulfill his word and all his promises. Now you and I may not be able to see how he's going to fulfill all of his promises and in fact you and I don't have to see how he's going to fulfill all of his promises but what we can know and what we need to know is that he will. So in this instance Paul is revealing something that would not be apparent without the Spirit. Israel's transgression means riches for the world because it's spreading the salvation to people who were not part of that nation. But Their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater their full inclusion will bring. So now Paul is going to specifically address the non-Jewish Christians that he's writing to in Rome. There are both there. So he's singling out one group at this point to say, "I, I want to talk to you Gentiles. Because I'm known, says Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles. Because that's who primarily responded to his message. And he says, I take pride in my ministry, not an arrogant or wicked kind of pride, but rather he's saying, I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the salvation of God to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And so the pride that he takes in it is his satisfaction in the goodness of God and the hope Also, that by reaching many Gentile people with this good news and seeing many Gentile people saved into this faith, his own people whom he still loves, remember last week we talked about this, he has the heart of God towards them, that they would see this truth and desire it and be saved themselves. And again, he he makes the point again, that will be an even greater blessing for the world. If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, and that means that when there was this dough offering made at the Feast of First Fruits, it was sanctified to God. This table that you and I have before us, that we will partake of, on which there is dough and juice of the vine, on which there is bread and the cup, it's holy. And if part of it is holy, all of it is holy. So now you and I also as we receive part of it in a few minutes and you at home I hope that you have bread and juice to partake of there or some wine that you can drink but if not you can nevertheless partake by the spirit in the spirit of this communion and each one of us the part that we receive is holy so we believe that the whole of us are sanctified by it. If the whole If part of the dough is holy, the whole batch is holy. If the root of the tree is holy, the branches are holy also. Now, you do not support the root, you Gentiles, but the root supports you. That is to say, you didn't come up with the word of God, but then again, neither did they. You didn't receive the word of God, but they did. Now, they may not have believed the word of God, but then again, neither did you. But the root of what God is doing is rooted in him. And so the root of God and real faith revealed by Christ is what supports you and I. And God wants to spread the mercy of that faith and the glorious good news of that generous gospel very broadly. But he's only going to spread it through people who remain humble through people who remember that it's only by God's grace and not some goodness of our own that we are able to share this truth and to live in it. Some of the branches of this tree that God raised up for himself of Israel have been broken off. But notice, the tree's not dead. There's a remnant that remains. There's a root that that is still viable and growing. And now you've been grafted in like a wild shoot. And you're sharing in the nourishing sap that comes from the root of that that olive uh, tree. So don't consider yourself to be superior to these other branches. Throughout chapters 9, 10, and into 11, Paul's been making the case that Jewish people ought not to consider themselves superior, but ought to have the humility to surrender all to the God who chose them to begin with so that they could enter into salvation. But now he's turning around to non-Jewish people and saying, you shouldn't consider yourself superior either. And just because you're a Christian doesn't make you superior. Just because you believe in Christ doesn't make you superior. It should make you superiorly grateful. In other words, you should be all the more grateful that God has chosen you and I. And if you are tempted to think that you are better, consider this, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. Now, you could say, hey, branches were broken off just to make a place for me to be grafted in. All right, Paul says, I'll grant you that. But they were broken off, why? Not because they were Jewish but because, in fact, of unbelief in the Jewish faith. And therefore, you stand in the place that was made for them because you've accepted that faith. But don't be arrogant about it. Instead, tremble, that is, have a fear of God. Be reverent about that fact, because if God was willing to remove natural branches from that tree because of unbelief, he won't spare the grafted branches if they exhibit unbelief either. Remember this, that the vine dresser comes, which is the father, to see where is there fruit on the vine. And where there is fruitfulness, he will prune, which means there's snipping. If you're a gardener, you know what pruning is about. There's a removing so that that which is fruitful can be more fruitful. But if there's no fruit on the branch, that branch is cut off and they gather them together and they throw them into the fire. That's what Jesus says in John 15. And so here, Paul is making a similar point. If you're fruitful, be grateful that you're fruitful. It's only because you've been grafted in and the life of the vine is in you. But if you're not fruitful, you better beware. God will cut away that branch. Now, this is not to say if you're saved, you should be in fear of the sword of Damocles or rather the sword of God coming to cut you off. But what it is saying is don't think that your profession of faith is enough Because even the Jewish people could say, we believe, but the reality is their life didn't reflect the fruit of faith. So look at your life and look for the fruit of faith. And if you don't see it, ask for God who will give it. But don't suppose that if there is no fruit of faith in your life, you really are a person of faith. Because what that reveals is you're dead. So let the life of the Lord into you. And as you do so, consider the kindness of God, but remember the sternness of God. God is loving. But real love calls people to account and considers consequences. There is sternness for those who fell, that is, who turn away from God. But there is kindness. Now, you and I, we were turned away from God, but out of his kindness, he turned us towards him. But you and I are called to live in him, abide in him, and if we don't, then we also could consider that we are cut off from that life. If they do not persist in unbelief, they also will be grafted in. Here Paul is saying, the Jewish people have the same invitation, be grafted in. God's able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, then how much more could these who are natural branches of the cultivated tree, be grafted into it. So this is the mystery. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. That salvation should be made available to all people. And he satisfies that purpose. And even the hardness of human hearts, which is real and has real consequences, still cannot diminish, cannot extinguish The plan and purpose and the holy aim and end of God. So you and I are called to be humble. Will you say this? Be humble. humble. Stay hopeful. hopeful. Be open open. to to God. You and I are called to be humble, to stay hopeful, and to be ever open to God, ready to be disciplined by Him. That's some of that pruning. Let the hand of the vine dresser touch you with the shears of his pruning. It's not always pleasant. No discipline is. But it is an act of love that produces fruitfulness. How can you and I respond to seasons of hardship, to times of grief, to unexpected strain? Well, one thing is to look at our lives and say, am I living according to the pattern of God's purposes? Am I open and available to the Spirit? If I'm not... Perhaps I am suffering simply because I am unwilling to surrender all to God. And maybe it's time to do that. But if you are living in a way that is surrendered to God, and hardship comes precisely because you are serving God and remaining faithful to Him, don't give up. Don't say, as Elijah did, I'm the only one left. There is a remnant of God at work in our world. There is an action of the Spirit that is going on even invisibly. So give thanks to God. Praise Him for His kindness and His mercy. Next week as we get into Romans chapter 12, a very exciting chapter about transformation, we're going to see a pattern for living that is based on these ideas. Humility, praise, prayer, unity, faithfulness. And these things produce peace and deep strength and they give guidance even in dark days. Paul is saying, I want you to know what God is up to. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery so that you may not be conceited because if you start to walk in that kind of pride, you are subject to the same kind of fall. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from where? From Zion, the city of David, from Israel, from the very throne of Israel, from the very temple place of Israel. And that's Christ Jesus. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This comes out of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophets. As far as the gospel is concerned, Paul says, they may be enemies for your sake. Right now, he's saying, you may face opposition. From Jewish people because you are claiming to have faith in the Jewish Messiah. But nevertheless, as far as election is concerned, in other words, in the eyes of God, they are loved on account of his promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now, I'm almost at the end of the message, and I want to turn once again and point this to you personally and say, God has called you. You may know it, you may not know it. If you know Jesus Christ, I hope that you know that God has called you because it was the call of God that brought you to God because Jesus Christ is God. And you love him because he first loved you. And he chose you before you ever could choose him. If you haven't even yet given your life to Jesus, still he is calling you. he's ready to gift you with all the fullness of his life and when he does that nothing can break it it's irrevocable just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of the disobedience of these others so they too have now become disobedient in order to that they may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. What is meant here is this. God is demonstrating that all have been disobedient. But God is demonstrating even more that where sin abound, grace abounds all the more. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You may be saying to me, listen, Court, I still don't really get this. It doesn't all hang together to me. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Were you there when he made the world and he formed people? Can you understand the depths of God? Or would you be ready and willing instead to simply surrender all to him and know that the judge of all the earth will do right and that the God of mercy and the God of love and the God of righteousness is a God that you can trust Amen. even if you don't understand at all. Hallelujah. No one's ever given anything to God that God owes back. Yes. In fact, everything that you and I have comes from God and we owe him everything. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the name of the Lord. (laughs) Lord, we do give ourselves to you today. We give ourselves totally and entirely to you. There's things we've held back. There's things we've done for which we feel shame. Lord, wash us and cleanse us from that. I pause this prayer to ask if those that are serving the communion would begin to spread the elements around the room for you there at home. If you have elements to partake of, bring them to yourself now. Hold them as we pray that we might partake together. If you don't have a bread or cup to drink from, that's all right. Just join us in the spirit of communion, in the spirit of unity and trust. A spirit that knows we are not worthy of God. But he did make us for himself. And he who is all wise and all worthy, he makes us worthy through himself. Jesus Christ is God. But he did not consider his divinity something to be so proud of that he would hold on to it jealously and simply judge the world for its inadequacy. But instead, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself and came to the cross and said, I surrender all. You see, God who calls you to surrender all has already surrendered all of himself for you and me. The very blood of his veins, the very flesh of his body, the very cry of his heart for you. Now that body and that blood comes to you and I today that we could be made whole. On the night before he was betrayed and given over to be judged, condemned, and executed on the cross, For no fault of his own. He who knew no sin. Took the weight. Of the burden. Of the judgment of sin. Upon himself. And he was pierced. For our iniquities. I've just broken this piece of bread. To remind me. That Jesus allowed himself to be broken so that you and I could be made whole. But it also reminds me that as I consume this piece of bread, these pieces now, broken like the pieces of my life, my heart, my ways, they become whole in me again. So you and I, pieces of the body, in Christ are one. Don't feel distant from God today. Don't think yourself better than anyone else. Don't think yourself worse than anyone else. Think of yourself as belonging to God. And therefore, look to the needs of others and meet them through the grace of God that lives within you. Here is just a little bit of bread, a remnant that remains, that you and I would remember what was done for us. Lord, as we receive this remnant of the body, we believe that you make us your body. And by faith, Lord, as the body, may we be one in you today. In Jesus' name.